Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Sounds a bit cheesy, this actually, but um, while I was riding into work on my motorbike this morning, I was just coming up the slip road onto the motorway. And I saw Johnny Lee on his motorbike. I thought, I know that motorbike. Anyway, we came in like a pair of fighter jets, all the way weaving our way through the traffic. <laughs> you can be my wingman anytime. And it was uh, Top Gun quote every Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday Top Gun. And, uh, but it was great. And, uh, you know, I like riding motorbikes. I don't like getting on a motorbike when it's cold and everything, but it's great. And um, that little whiz through me pulled up at, uh, at HQ and took our crash on myself, that was fun, wasn't it? It was really good and had a bit of a laugh, bit of biking banter. And the motorbike does make me feel a little bit alive, actually. It definitely wakes me up. Thank you, brother. But do you know what? I'd, I was talking to my mum and dad uh, over the weekend. They actually came up for my, my birthday at the meal together. And we were talking about life. They're in their late 70s now, heading towards 80. And uh, they're not believers. And it sounds really cheesy, this, but you have to just... You bear with it. I said to my dad across the dinner table, it's always hard when you're talking to your parents. They're not believers. That's, that's a hard pain barrier to cross. I said to my dad, look, you know, I've loved having adventures and I've tried to squeeze a lot out of life. And you're just talking about life, universe, everything. They were talking about, you know, we're nearly dead now and all this sort of stuff. It was a conversation, chirpy birthday conversation. And um, we started talking about death arrangements. If one of them dies and one of them's left, thought it's a great, happy birthday. But I said to him... Um, I said, the thing is, though, I said, I do like the odd adventure. I like my motorbike and all the different things I try to do. I said, but nothing has made me feel more alive than to live for something that is bigger than me. You know, and and that's it. I'm trying to find a way to articulate the gospel. And actually, it's so true, isn't it? You know, you can feel a little bit alive on your motorbike or having an adventure or going on a camping weekend or doing a bit of mountain biking, but staring at a beautiful view, but nothing has made me feel more alive than living for Christ, living for a cause that is bigger than you. I'm going to read you a passage, which I think is so majestic and, uh, and, and uh, confuses a lot of people. You've probably all got what's going on here, but I'm going to read you from Genesis 22. And, and it's a story that a lot of people, particularly new believers, they look at it and think, what is this all about? But I'm hoping that you're going to see some of the majesty of this as you read it. Then we're going to talk it through, then we're going to pray. And this is the classic story, the Old Testament story of Abraham's big test. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Which sounds horrific. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood, For the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering 
and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. That is some majestic story right there. Uh, and Abraham, obviously, was a profound and amazing character. Um, I've drawn out a number of parallels here, and I'm going to read them through. I came up with about 40 parallels of the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac and the cross. And I'm just going to read about 20 of them to you, maybe 25, and, uh, and you're going to love it, because it's remarkable when you actually drill into the detail of this. The father leads his son to be sacrificed. A donkey is involved on the road to sacrifice. Each son is the one and only son. Said about three or four times. Did you note that? The son is a descendant of Abraham. The sacrifice takes place within view of the same mountain called Mount Calvary in the New Testament where Jesus was crucified. Probably Jesus was crucified in the shadow of Mount Moriah. The son, both sons, carried the wood to the place of sacrifice. The son was submissive to the will of the father. Isaac was not a kid who had been an older young man. The father was willing to sacrifice his son if necessary. But I think, reading this passage, the father believed in the resurrection here. Abraham believed in the resurrection. Did you see? We will go and worship. We will come back. I think he was in total faith, actually. I really do. The father loves the son. The resurrection, as just said, was prophesied. The son, in both stories, the account of the cross 
At this account, the sun was laid on wood. The Lord himself provided a sacrifice. Blood was shed. But in this story, there is a substitute. 2,100 years later, there wasn't. And I find that remarkable. How did God feel? We cannot comprehend as he watched Abraham play out this prophetic scene in Genesis 22, knowing that 2,100 years later, there wouldn't be a ram caught in some thickets. But he'd actually have to watch his son get nailed to a cross. I wonder. It's phenomenal. Right up to that last minute, I wonder how God felt. And then when he saw there was a provision, he created the provision of the ram. I wonder what he was feeling, thinking, because he lives in our tomorrow already. He's already seen it, he's already been there, which is something we'll come up to in a bit. It's, for me, a truly remarkable story that a couple of thousand years before Jesus went to the cross, God was playing that story out for everyone to see, a remarkable prophetic thing. In that place, Mount Moriah, just to fill in some gaps for you, it's where Solomon built the temple, it's where the city of David grew, and it's where now the Dome of the Rock is, an Islamic temple. And for those of you that are into your biblical prophecy, watch this space. But I'll let you find that one out for yourself. That's something for another time. But also, it's the first time that God was given the name Jehovah Jireh, or God will provide. And it's interesting how people use that phrase, Jehovah Jireh, or God will provide. Often we talk about God's provision in terms of a new hot tub or a white Mercedes. But actually, in the Old Testament, the first time that the term Jehovah Jireh was used was actually for the ultimate provision. To be absolutely correct on what the Word of God says about God's provision, the ultimate provision was Christ. And that's it. Only Christ can satisfy. So what I was saying right at the start, weaving in on my motorbike, having a bit of a laugh with John Lee, but only Christ can satisfy, right? Only living for him and living for something beyond yourself. I can remember as a young man, I, I have a mildly melancholic side that comes out in my artwork every now and again. Every now and again, I, I wield an art brush when I'm feeling slightly artistic and melancholy. When I'm pondering on the things of life, I put my little beret on and my fluffy shirt and I do a little dabbling in my cellar. Like a little bit of acrylic dabbling at the moment. But I can remember as a young man sitting back in my granddad's, my dead granddad's armchair. <laughs> it was a big swivel chair. I liked it because it was like Captain Kirk's command chair. And I can remember sitting back in it and feeling this like wave of weird kind of melancholic, mild loneliness or like there was something missing. Have you ever had that? Like, you don't need to admit to it if you want to be all tough. But every now and again, like years ago, before I knew Christ, I'd, I'd have this sort of, there's got to be more. You know, and you try and fill it, didn't you, with stuff like motorbikes or painting or camping or fishing or base jumping, skydiving, bungee jumping, adventure, music, whatever it is. You try and fill that little thing. But I tell you, the day I gave my life to Christ, I never had that feeling again. I've never had it. I mean, I try and search for it when I'd be really creative because I think it helped me out. But I've never had it again. 
It was a weird kind of longing. But I tell you, we look at these kids out there that we're trying to reach and you look at the stats on self-harming and suicide and depression and, you know, gender confusion and stuff around sexuality and porn and, and how desperate is it that we get this higher tour going? How desperate is it that we create these hubs around the country and start shining light into dark lives? Because only Christ can satisfy. And it's not just words that I'm using. I really mean it 100%. When this story was played out 2,100 years later, God did watch his son get nailed to a lump of wood and hell was defeated. And since then we carry a story of resurrection and a hope and life and we sang it. So how desperate is it that we get this stuff out there? Only... Only Jesus can satisfy. Now, some people, are just as a little aside, some people do struggle with the whole concept of sacrifice. Even Christians who've been journeying with the Lord a long time. And I just want to say this. I think, as a little aside, hardwired into us is a need for justice. Like from big things to small things. Or small things to big things. Like this morning, I got cut up three times. I nearly died. Someone nearly knocked me off my bike in Stockport. And I, everything in me wanted to not have the opposite spirit at that moment. Now, I'm writing a book on the Beatitudes, but everything in me wanted to kick his door, to be honest. <laughs> like, and I, I wanted to pursue him down the road and shake me fist and not be a godly man. How, how dare you? Sirocco Volkswagen driver. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Everything in you wants to put it right. And when you get that email, when you get that email that really winds you up, or one of your line managers makes a decision, he thinks an injustice, or you get overlooked for a job, or something horrible happens in a shop, or a cashier's rude to you. And you just want, if you notice that, you just want justice. It's amazing. I think it's hardwired into us actually a sense of justice. It gets corrupted by sin. But it's wired into us. I remember when Myra Hindley, the child murderer, died in prison. People who don't believe in God were standing outside the prison holding placards saying, Myra Hindley, burn in hell. Isn't it interesting how people want hell for everyone but them? <laughs> we all want justice apart from for us. Have you noticed that? We have this massive blind spot. But God demands justice. But in his mercy, now this son to a lump of wood. Because blood had to be spilt. If you're ever struggling with the idea of sacrifice, my God needs it, it's about justice. And justice will be done. But for me, ultimate justice of people going to hell or facing judgment, that's a horror story. I don't want to see anyone face hell, do you? We should, be, we should speak of hell in whispered tones, actually. It is such a horror story. And this whole movement is about rescue in the big picture. And only Christ can satisfy. And only Christ can save us from hell. Jehovah Jireh. So here's a few things, just a few little pointers about how we live in response to this. Just a couple of little points. Number one, I think because of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ and because of God's extravagant love for us and his 
ultimate provision, our lives should be just a massive outpouring of thankfulness. Actually. Resisting getting grumpy. Default position of gratitude in all things. Like living for someone beyond yourself and something beyond yourself, knowing that actually we, we, we hang from hell by a thread of God's grace. Actually. If you could picture our lives, we hang by a thread from hell, saved by the grace of God. Who are we to get chippy about anything? And if you do find yourself getting all chippy about things and upset and injustice, and put yourself in a corner and give yourself a talking to real quick. Because that's not our default position. Our default position is grace and gratitude and thankfulness. Dear God, thank you that my life is saved. Thank you that I'm now a carrier of your presence. That you live in me. When people walk into this building, and I have the privilege of showing people around this building a lot, and they love the vibe. People love the energy, and you know, sometimes I warn you, I'm going to bring people around and look happy. <laughs> so sometimes it's that, I understand that. But I think we want people to cross the threshold of this car park. And feel the presence of thankfulness, the presence of the Spirit, to know that there's a different character about this place. And let me tell you something. I've been a pastor on the side for, for probably, I don't know, uh, over 20 years. And so many times over the years, I've had people sitting in front of me, oh, my husband's this, or my wife's that, or my work colleagues and like grief and pain and, and that's real because people do go through terrible times but I have a shocking pastoral method that sometimes really upsets people and I say like let's say it was like um, like Ian coming to see me and oh this is happening and I'm, uh, do you know what I say find one thing Ian that you could give thanks for for that person find one thing you could give thanks for in your wife or your husband. Find one thing that you can thank God for in your life. And do you know what that does? You're on a downward trajectory and it pulls you up. It pulls you out of a nosedive because your orientation of your life is now one of gratitude and thankfulness. It's actually a very healing thing. But who are we to get chippy about anything? Ultimately, don't worry, if you look, go around and I see you all being moany, I'm going to have a go. But I will say, like, get some gratitude flowing. A little bit of joy, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for what Christ has done. Second thing I feel is, we should be amongst the most generous and sacrificial people on the face of the planet. In Not just financially, although that's a good thing, because where you money is, that's where your heart is. But actually, with our lives, opening our homes up, giving freely, lending without expecting back, generous words, looking for the good, being gracious, forgiving quickly, 
We've been spared the hell. Our very lives should be an outpouring of gratitude and generosity, I think. And getting a grip on your heart in those things. Living with the opposite spirit in every respect. And let me tell you something. Being generous to people is okay when it's people that you like. It's very hard when it's people that wind you up. And being generous with your words when you're gripped by comparisons or jealousy, that's very hard. But let me tell you, if you're looking at people, some crazy talented person, you're feeling all chippy about them, you think, oh, I want to be like that, I wish I had that. Say positive things about them in public and that'll soon deal with it. Well, I've been jealous of other people's gift. Do you know what I do? I say positive things about them. I want to live a sacrificial and generous life. I want to champion other people. Our very default position should be that we want people to achieve more, do more, be better, more blessed than we are. Because that's what Jesus wants for us. <laughs> Why don't we live that? That's what we're called to be. We've been spared hell. The Spirit of God lives in us. Let's reflect it. The third thing. I wanted to say, I find this Genesis 22 account absolutely remarkable. 2,100 years, give or take the odd day, between Abraham and the cross, that account and the cross. 2,000 odd years now between the cross and us. I just find that remarkable. He says to me, God's got it. He's really got this. Like, in the big picture and in the small picture. He's got you, he's got your life, and he's got this ministry. And some of you here, you're contending for stuff in the message, and those of us in leadership, we can feel the pressure. But I really felt God speak to me as I mused on this late last night, just running through this passage again. So often we live with limited horizons. So often the pressure of daily circumstances can squash our faith. 4,000 years. Four, over 4,000 years ago. In the same place, give or take a few hundred yards probably, where Jesus is crucified. Abraham is playing this scene out. And it's a, it's a message to us. Do, do, you, do you not see, says the Lord, I've got a history. I've got it. I've got your life. I know every day planned for you. I know all about the message. I know where the message is going to be. When the Lord returns, I've got it. And we do our best to navigate the path he's put in front of us and we ride with the ups and downs and the challenges and he stretches our faith and he tests us. But this book is so stamped with the message that God has got it. And what that says to me is, yes, we have to be attentive to the voice of the Spirit. We have to hear his voice. We've got to spend our time in prayer. We've got to reflect on the word. But when we know God's spoken, let's be audacious. Let's dream big. We can't outdream God. He's got it. And I know what he wants. His desire, according to the word, is that all people are saved. Now, I have rows with rampant Calvinists and Armenians all the time. And I just say, look, as far as I'm concerned, God wants all people to be saved. So let's act like that. 
I seize every opportunity possible because I know if our agenda is on God's agenda, which is rescue, we can dream real big and God will back us. And yes, we have to use common sense and we have to be strategic because God gives good gifts of that. Like look at the book of Nehemiah, there's strategy and the miracle prayer and action working together. But I honestly think we can step into the future with huge confidence that God's got it. And what it just reflects on this passage right up to the last minute. Can you imagine how Abraham felt? The test of faith. He says we'll go and worship and we will come back. His son's carrying the wood. Then he ties his son to the wood. And his son doesn't resist because he's in faith. There's another side, isn't it? The son's in faith. Abraham's wielding a knife. And obviously, he's, he's about to do it. Right up to that last minute, he's still in faith. Why is it, and I'm speaking to myself so many times, it's right up to the last minute we're waiting for the provision of the Lord. Why is it? That's such a, it's such a horrible thing, isn't it? Like, we're down to 20p in the account. How are we going to pay the bills? And it's always at the last minute the money comes in. Do you know what? Once, when I was at Christian Vision for Men, and we were literally very short on money, which is most of the time, and uh, I was like, oh, you know, really a bit stressful. And then suddenly 45 grand came in, which was going to clear. It was a check. And it was literally going to clear, like, within hours of when the salary bill was going to go out. 45 grand. That is just a game-changing amount of money on a ministry that size. The check came in, and I said to the Lord, what? Why? I'm so grateful. But why? Why? Like seven days, including the weekend. Did you? Why? Then why did? And in the post, who posts a 45 grand check? Who puts that in the post? Second class. It was like 45 grand. And they have a second class stamp on it. It's bonkers. And I said, Lord, why? And I just this little whisper of the Lord saying, well, you didn't need it yesterday, did you? You need it today. But it keeps happening now for 20 years. It's the same thing. But that's, that's, that's Abraham. I will provide, says the Lord. Will you trust me? You believe for resurrection. Will you believe I got it? Played out this amazing story, but then 2,100 years later, God from heaven. What's Jesus getting nailed to the cross? And there's no ram in the thickets because he was the lamb. And all our hopes of provision and all our faith and all our dreams and our character all rest on that moment, actually. Three days later, rose again. Did you notice the three days in the story? Amazing, isn't it? Three days it took. Abraham and Isaac to get to the place of sacrifice and three days after the cross Jesus rose again and now we live with resurrection DNA and hope gratitude thankfulness big vision thankful lives and I I just do want to say that there is another provision message in here this Jehovah Jireh peace I think the ultimate provision of God is Christ. But I did just want to say as well that according to Philippians 4.19, it says, my God will supply all our needs according to his 
riches of glory in Christ Jesus. And I do believe that God provides what's right for us when we need it to in a material way. It says that in Matthew 6. It says it throughout the Bible that he will provide. And he will provide for you, provide for your families, provide for your ministry. It may not feel like it at times, but the word of God can actually be trusted. And this passage tells us that God's got it and he can be trusted. I don't think it means we should be praying for a Porsche 911. But I think if we pray for rescue and thousands of people to come to Christ and we pray for our hope to break out and light to shine in the darkest places, God will provide that and meet all our needs in order to do so. And will actually bless us as well and give us a lot of fun along the way with all the ups and downs that come to pass when you're trying to serve the Lord. Let's pray for a bit. Let's, um, let's pray for our hearts to be characterised by thankfulness and joy. Let's pray that you know, we are the most sacrificial and grateful people on the face of the planet. Let's pray that we truly live a reflection of the glory of God in our lives. When we turn, pray for one another these things and pray in threes and fours that God would bless each and every one this morning. Fill us with a spirit of hope and joy and gratitude and, and, a, and just... A rise of faith, actually. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.